Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I am here with Cecile Richards, who needs no introduction, but she is the co-chair of American Bridge. She is the former president of Planned Parenthood, a lifelong supporter of the cause. We're just so grateful to have you here. Cecile, welcome. Yeah, no, great to be with you. Well, there's no voice that we wanted to hear from more than you this last week. I'm just wondering, in, in the week since we heard the news about Roe, what your feeling has been? I guess, Emily, like a lot of folks, I vacillate between white hot anger and despair because I'm from Texas and have spent the last several months deeply in touch with people there. I know already what it looks like to live in a country or a state where you can no longer uh, get access to not only not get access to safe and legal abortion, but even make fundamental decisions about pregnancy and I mean, we've seen everything in Texas from young women being thrown into jail to folks not being able to talk to a high-risk OBGYN about uh, a very complex pregnancy and everything in between. And I don't believe that's the country that that Americans want, but we're going to have to fight like hell to restore this right. I want to talk to you about that. What, from the time that you have spent... In Texas, I know you are from there. Your your mother was governor of the state, uh, and I know that you've been doing so much work there over the last few months. What are we? What have we seen in Texas over the last year that is a preview of what is to come in at least nine of the states who have changed their their laws since last week, and the many states who are considering changing their laws in the in the coming weeks. Well, of course, first we began to see people rushing in the minute they thought they even might be pregnant. Uh, because, of course, the Texas law uh, has been that you can't get an, uh, a legal abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. And it just created sort of wholesale panic. And I would say that number one emotion that I have heard is fear. Women feel like they live in a police state. They don't know who to trust. Of course, they have this bounty system where people can be rewarded, make money by turning in anyone who is helping anyone access abortion. So I, even even my, my friends um, at, at Planned Parenthood will say, women would call and say, are you going to narc me out? Or can I trust you? And then, you know, as I've been speaking to providers in these clinics, there's so many examples, but everything from, you know, a woman coming in who was past six weeks, she found out, needed a surgical abortion. That would mean driving to New Mexico to Albuquerque was the closest spot. But she couldn't do that because you would have to pass through a border checkpoint and she couldn't do that. Women coming up, uh, showing up at Planned Parenthood who were miscarrying but had been denied care at the hospital because, um 
they don't know what the rules are, and everyone is terrified of being turned in to um, to in, into the authorities. So, just the range of um, fear, the range of um, really inhumanity is incredible. And of course, so many women that you're hearing about who have never left the state of Texas in their lives, throwing all their kids and their family into a car, driving to Colorado. Um, and of course, many of these folks are going to states that now no longer provide abortion either. So certainly when you look at the map, it's pretty overwhelming. I, I want to talk to you all about crossing state lines and, and going to other states, but you brought up something that, that I've been thinking about, and this is not just an issue about choice or about abortion or about healthcare. It's, it's an issue about surveillance, right? Correct. And this is not just for women, because obviously this is a decision that impacts women's lives and health uh, and economic viability and their futures. That is obvious, uh, but we live in a country that I think is so ro- deeply rooted in sexism so, so even if you are not a woman, this will impact your life because this is the government being able to intrude into even the most personal decisions that you could make. And that is raising alarm bells for me and for the people you talk about. It's not just the people who are having abortions who this affects. It's the people who are driving them to abortions. It's their doctors. It's the receptionist at the doctor's office. And this, this seems to know no limits to me. And that's almost equally as terrifying. Completely. Uh, I, you know, I was in a conversation yesterday where we were discussing how to help women erase their search history so that we can begin to educate uh, women what to do if they've used you know, Google Maps, if they have searched how to find an abortion. Because, of course, in many of these states, and I'll, again, we'll just sort of stay on Texas, uh, the Texas Attorney General is so extreme. He is completely, this is to him a complete political obsession. He doesn't care about the harm that happens to women, families, as you say, anyone who's pregnant or anyone who lives, is in a relationship where they're helping someone. In fact, I couldn't believe this even, Emily, and I feel like I'm pretty jaded at this point, but he, the, the Attorney General of Texas literally shut down uh, the state agency uh, on the day that the decision came down in celebration of the end of legal abortion in Texas. That's the kind of extremism that we're seeing. And of course, as you know, once the full ban goes into effect in Texas, not only will it mean you can't get any abortions, but doctors will be criminalized. Um, doctors can serve up to a life imprisonment uh, for aiding or assisting someone with a, an abortion. And of course, the terrifying thing you know as well is that uh, abortion doesn't end when it becomes illegal. It simply goes underground. And the explosion of women going online, trying to find a place, and the explosion, of course, of uh, bad actors who are now trying to dupe women, uh, get them into, you know, onto sites, uh, into health, supposed healthcare centers that are not, that is rampant. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. 
I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> scary to me because it, it is not a taboo thing to have an abortion. Uh, it is a taboo thing to talk about still in our society, but one in four women will have an abortion by the time they turn 45. I would probably imagine the number is even higher than that. A sizable majority of women in the United States, I think it's 67%, opposed the court's ruling last week. I think more than half of Americans said it was a step backwards for the country. We are in a tyranny of the minority here. Correct. We have justices who are not elected making decisions that are not even politically popular. And yet we are in a, in a society that is controlled by a very vocal minority. As someone who has spent their life going up against this very vocal, very active, very powerful minority. How do we get beyond this tyranny? Well, I think we have to do three things. At least this is how I'm focused now. First is we have to take care of people who need abortions because half the country pretty soon will be, it'll be unavailable. And there are things we can do. There are ways, you know, of course, medication abortion has become much more common. It's very safe in early in pregnancy. So I think we have to, number one, take care of people in the interim, because as you say, the ability to make a decision about when and whether to have children just affects everything in your life, finishing school, having a career, um, having a family or not having a family, you know, when you're ready. So that's number one. Number two, I actually think it is really important that we lift up the lived experience of people who live in states where abortion is no longer legal, because it's for many people, and you know, I live in New York City now, and I it's it's almost like they're thinking about a foreign country. They can't even imagine what that would be like. And so I do think it's incumbent on us to tell the stories. And then of course, number three, which kind of is getting to your point, we have to tell people who did this to them. Because this did not happen because some, you know, small band of right-wing extremists made abortion illegal. This happened because the Republican Party nationally decided that this was their highest priority. Um, and that meant appointing a Supreme Court, um, no matter what they had to say to get confirmed, appointing a Supreme Court that would overturn Roe versus Wade, and then passing laws all across the country that would outlaw abortion. And that is something I just think we have to make that connection for people. Because as you say, the vast majority of, of, of this country does not want politicians making decisions about pregnancy. They just don't. And so we've got to tell them who did this. I think that's so smart. I, I want to unpack all of those things. I'm going to start at your first point, which is the economic impact and the the whole life impact of having a child when you're not ready to have a child. Even the dissenting justices, in this case, Justice Beyer, uh, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan, they listed the ways that Mississippi has fallen short of supporting women who are pregnant. The state has the highest infant mortality rate in the country, some of the highest rates of preterm birth, low birth weight, C-section, maternal death. Um, they noted that 62% of Mississippi pregnancies are unplanned. Uh, we also know that 
Roe is not just about an abortion in the United States. It's uh, something that has led to higher earnings for women, increased education levels, participation in the workforce for generations of women, particularly for black women. These Republicans aren't pro-life if they are not supporting women in their lives. And, and that is the, the fact that I want to keep reporting. This is not, you can't be pro-life and then not support women's health and women's economic future. Oh, well, they're not pro-life. I'll give you just my favorite example. And you listed many from the state of Mississippi, but you could say basically the same thing about the state of Texas. In Mississippi, if you're a new mom on Medicaid, which is the majority of births in Mississippi, you get two months of health care after that, two months. And the same legislature that voted to ban abortion voted down, or of course, a Republican-led legislature voted down expanding that to a year of healthcare coverage. So yes, they don't, they don't care about the women. They don't care about the babies. Uh, I mean, these are the same Republicans that voted against uh, getting better, you know, access to formula for moms. No, it's total hypocrisy. It is all about political power. And the interesting thing, I think, Emily, is, and look, having been fighting these fights in Texas for forever, you know, it was, it was one thing for them to just stand up and make these, spout off these ridiculous statements about being pro-life and being for the unborn and all this. Now they're kind of like the dog that caught the bus, right? Because now they've done it. And so to me, it's incredibly important that every single person in office that has voted for these bans or voted to confirm these justices to the Supreme Court, this is on them now. The harm and the suffering for women is on them I'll tell you exactly, I mean, I don't know, you you asked kind of about what was happening in Texas. I will tell you the story I just heard, and I just actually heard it from another doctor, which is women now calling clinics saying that they want to be sterilized. Ugh. And they want to be sterilized, not because of any reason other than they cannot afford to get pregnant again. And there is really no way to overstate the cruelty that a woman would make that decision because of politicians in her state. And that's that's the country that this Republican Party has created. Honestly, that just sent my stomach into knots. I'm sorry. And, I know. I, it's, I, I know. I, I just think it's we have it's, to look at the I, we have to look at all the ugliness that has been created. And as you said, not because anyone's pro-life. It's because they want political power and that's what happened. They they kind of made their bed here and said, we. it's more important for us to have the right wing, you know, allegiance to the Republican Party on abortion, because that way we can build political power. And now it's on them. Now it's on them. It's I've never felt in my bones uh, more in the last few months between this decision and between what we're seeing with gun violence in, the, in this country that we've like we lost the plot. Right. in this country and that we have politicians who are so deeply corrupted by their own power and have just completely lost the sense of what it means to have responsibility uh, in this country. And it, it is really, it's really so disheartening to me. And what that example you just gave in Texas really is so sickening. And I've been reading about all of the people who are calling into these clinics talking about vasectomies, about tying their tubes, about stockpiling birth control or stockpiling the the um, medication for abortion at home. And it's just so sick that we have this panic. Uh, the, the other thing that you brought up was traveling to states to get 
an abortion. And I have seen in my anecdotally in my own life, um, people talking about making donations to all these places. And I think that that's wonderful. But one of the things that I think gets a little, little bit lost in this conversation is that many people can't just pick up and go to another state for this. Uh, they have children who they care for, who can't, they don't have child care for, or they have hourly jobs that they can't just take off from. And even if they could take off, that means a real loss in earnings for them. So how do we support these women who can't just say, you know what, I'm going to New York for the weekend, even if their trips are paid for by their employers or by funds that are doing incredible work, but that's not really a viable thing for, for a large swath of this country. It's absolutely 100% correct that abortion bans fall most heavily on women with low incomes, uh, people who live in rural areas, young people who have often, and of course, Texas being an example, they can't just like somehow find a ride to Colorado, especially young people who don't want to talk to their parents, or maybe they can't talk to their parents. So again, it kind of goes back to this theme of fear. And of course, the majority of people who have abortions already have children. So you're correct. They are making decisions and trying to figure out how to juggle the kids they have uh, and not when they're in a position where they now need to terminate a pregnancy, you know, if they work in a minimum wage job, if they work at a place where they can't simply say, I'm taking off a week. They don't have cars. I mean, just the, the complexity is heartbreaking. And I hear these stories from the, the folks who, who are on the hotlines, people who are saying, what do you mean? I can't drive to Colorado. I've never even been, I don't know how to find that, find the, uh, this clinic. And also the other, just on this theme fear, Emily, many women, they don't know who to trust. Um, I was talking to a minister in Dallas who helps he and his parishioners um, have been running a program since Texas banned abortion to help um, and take women to New Mexico. And they organize a, um, you know, these are lay people who are trained and who go with women. And of course, women, even though they're coming to a church with, a, and, and, you know, they've been, they're terrified. They're like, are, can I trust you? Where are you taking me? This is what is just so in, inhumane. Um, and of course, Everything that we do, every abortion ban is going to fall hardest on the people who already have the least access to health care, including birth control. You know, um, I think it's incredibly important to continue to support abortion funds and organizations that are providing resources. But it is it's more complicated than that. Um, I, I think one of the things we can do is certainly make sure that every person who is facing an unintended pregnancy, knows about medication abortion, knows how to access it safely from a trusted provider online. This is, um, for many people, this is going to be their best option. Um, but you're right, people are stockpiling everything right now. The other thing I heard um, from the clinicians in Texas is, of course, now women are desperate to get IUDs. And the thought that you would have to choose your, I mean, IUDs, that's fine. If that's what you want and that's a good birth control method for you, great. But the thought that now we're going to have a generation of young women in particular who are having to get IUDs because the state of Texas outlawed their ability to make decisions about pregnancy is sickening. Absolutely horrifying. And, and I think IUDs are a great option for some people, but they're not the best option for a lot of people. And that shouldn't Correct. be something that we're forced into doing, making very impactful decisions about our health because we're fearful of what could come next. But I do think that that fear is founded and and we're panic making decisions because 
we've been proven that it's okay to panic right now. We're in, we're in a situation where the worst case scenario has come true. And if that is happening, then I think people don't know where to turn. We've seen all these things about the, the traffic to the sites where you can get these medications skyrocketing, the hotlines. Um, there aren't enough people answering these calls for the number of people who are, who are coming in. The thing that scares me is you're starting to see legislators talking about um, prohibiting people from crossing state lines to get abortion or prohibiting people from obtaining these medic- medications. Yes. What do you think comes uh, next? No, I mean, this is I mean, it's basically underscoring whether it's making a decision about an unintended pregnancy or about a form of birth control. The, the basic bottom line here is this is where government is in charge of your body that you are having to do things because government has now taken control of your reproductive lives. And this is not what anyone in this country wants. And I don't care, independent, Republican, Mississippi, New York City, it doesn't matter. This is not what people believe the role of government is. The tough thing is that we, you know, and this was really my reading of the Supreme Court case, is the Supreme Court basically these five members, they don't care. They don't care that it's completely disrupting the lives of a whole new generation of people, young people. Uh, they don't care that this is a right that has been enshrined in our you know, in the constitutional law for nearly 50 years. And frankly, they don't care that they are the overwhelming minority in this country. And so our job now is to make them care. This was a political move by a politically motivated uh, Supreme Court and a politically motivated Republican Party. And we now have to get the 70 or 80 percent of Americans who disagree with this to understand that they have the ability to change what's happening. Do you think that pharmaceutical companies will step in in any way? I mean, that's not that's not my first source of, of support. But I will say there is an explosion of great healthcare providers who are developing access online, um, access to information, access to especially medication abortion. I, I really feel like that a, there's a ton of folks who are stepping up to this challenge. And it's exciting to see, frankly. I mean, this is there are going to be new new methods of reaching people that we never dreamed of before, uh, because, of course, this kind of crisis creates ingenuity. And that's what I'm really, I mean, that's what I feel is very positive, is no one is taking this and just saying, okay, this is going to be the world we live in. No one is allowing that. No one is going to let that happen. Unfortunately, uh, the people that are going to be left behind most, you know, disproportionately are going to be people who have the least access uh, to information and a support system. And that's, that's heartbreaking. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. 
Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. So what what do you think is the best long-term strategy right now? Is it electing enough Democrats to pass a bill to codify Roe? Is it waiting for the Supreme Court justices to retire or to die? Is it electing enough senators to scrap the filibuster? What is what is the best way forward and through this right now? Well, first of all, I am definitely not waiting on this Supreme Court to change. I mean, these folks are hell-bent on undoing every bit of progress we've made in this country. And they clearly, they're not accountable to anyone. And so I think we now have to create accountability. And that is that is political. Again, I, I think we can't just tell people to wait for the next election because that's a very, that's, that's not sufficient. That's an important piece of this. And absolutely, some people have to begin to pay uh, for these decisions and these uh, pieces of legislation with their jobs. And that I think is incredibly important. I think this November, we're going to see there are huge, uh, hugely important elections. You think about, I think of a, a good example to me is Gretchen Whitmer's reelection campaign in, in Michigan. The only thing standing between the people of Michigan and an abortion ban is Gretchen Whitmer right now. Uh, and the same thing, Pennsylvania, you know, there's going to be a big governor's race where you have someone who wants to completely outlaw all abortion in the state of Pennsylvania uh, another candidate who does not. So it's really going to be important for people to actually understand there are people, it's like, which side are you on time? This is, there's no gray anymore. This is, um, this is kind of all or nothing. Um, I also, though, I've been an organizer my whole life. I believe getting in the streets and getting mad and going to town hall meetings and calling your members of Congress and raising hell. People do things because they think there's no pushback or if there's no pushback or payback. And, and it's not just women, and this is where I really want to invite everybody into this fight, because as you said earlier, Emily, this is an issue that affects everybody. It doesn't only affect women. Uh, and what I am, I personally feel like is going to happen potentially if we do our job and we actually act like the organizers we are, there's a whole generation of young people who just lost their rights and no one ever asked them. No one even took them into consideration. I think the potential for a realignment, a political realignment, particularly when you look at this Republican Party, standing in the way of gun reform, doing nothing on climate, now supporting ending abortion rights, voting rights, LGBTQ rights, you name it. I just feel like we are in a seismic moment in which they have lost a generation of young people for decades. And it's our job to make sure those folks have the support and that they get out to they're registered and they get out to vote. I couldn't agree more. This is a moment to speak to people whose fundamental freedoms are being taken away from them and, and they don't feel like anyone is speaking to them. How how would you advise Democrats to speak to that constituency? Well, I guess partly it's not so much how do Democrats speak to young people. It's how do Democrats listen to young people? Mm. And so I'm a big believer the best organizers are the best listeners and the best people in office are ones who actually spend time I'm hearing from their constituents. And I think there has never been a better time. If I was in elected office, I would be holding forums of young people in every town I stopped in. Ask them what they want. How do they see this country? Because as you said earlier, there is this overwhelming sense, and I see this in polling, but I think there's you know other ways of getting this, 
this overwhelming sense that the Republican Party is now taking away the freedoms of people in America. And again, abortion is just one example, but it's the most, it's the starkest right now. So I would, if I were um, a member of Congress or running for city council or state legislature or anything, I would say convene groups of young people and just sit and listen to them. Listen to what are their aspirations? How do they believe um, government can be a force for good in their lives? Because you will learn so much. And I feel like I've learned so much. I, I, my favorite, um, I've been going back and forth to Texas, of course, every abortion rally I'm going to and we're speaking. And I remember the very first one I went to, there was um, there were thousands of people and, of course, all these fancy elected officials and important people. But the person that impressed me the most was a 13-year-old young woman named Vienna. Um, she had to get a step stool to step up to the the, the podium. But she had organized her, her um, seventh grade class in the wake of the abortion ban in Texas. And now every time I go, she's speaking. I don't care what the rally is, she's speaking. So I'm like, be more like Vienna. Listen to young people who are absolutely unwilling to sit by and see their uh, futures ripped away from them. Push them forward, right? They can be our best spokespeople. God, I'm more Vienna's in this world. Exactly. That is <laughs> such a nice thing to hear. I, my It's my daughter's uh, first birthday today. And I just want... I obviously want to live in a country that supports her, right? But I want to be a mom who uh, raises a, a Vienna, who knows that she should and can speak out against big things and little things. And, yeah. and she has the, the confidence and the ability and uh, the lack of fear. And, and the thing that I'm so scared about is having a child in a time where they're f- so fearful of their fundamental rights being taken away. The thing that has been sticking in my brain uh, in hearing these conversations, particularly uh, in hearing politicians talking about what to do next, you know, they're talking about legislation that could protect uh, women in cases of rape or incest, the extreme cases. And and when I hear conversations like that, obviously that's incredibly important and we should do whatever we can to protect uh, women in those situations. But I sort of feel like we're all, it almost feels like we're giving up. Like, yeah. Abortion should just be protected full stop, not in the most extreme cases. And I understand why people are doing it. There's a practical reality to this, but it makes me feel like we're conceding on the basic fundamental right. And I don't want to concede on that. Am I I being short-sighted? No, you're 100% correct, Emily. And in fact, I mean, you know, I, I worked for Planned Parenthood for many, many years. And, you know, what I learned in, in, both the patients I talked to, the doctors that I spent time with, is no one knows anyone else's situation. And this decision, this ability, and well, you know now you're you're a mom. It's the most important decision many of us will make in our lifetime. It's so it's so deeply personal. And it's not just about having a baby. It's about then being responsible for this human being for the rest of your life. Um, I mean, I have three kids. They are to me like they're everything. But the thought that government would have made that decision for me is unthinkable. So this is absolutely not a time to start talking about when abortion, what kind. This is a time to really reassert what is a fundamental American value, which is you have the freedom to make decisions about your own body and certainly about your own pregnancies and your health care. That's something the American people support. Uh, and that's, that's, what I, um, that's what I believe we should fight for. 
You talk about your work at Planned Parenthood and, and you did such incredible work and were there for so long. Is there anything that you regret not doing now knowing that Roe was not the the law of the land that was untouchable as many of these justices under oath promised that it would be? I mean, there's really nothing I regret in that. I mean, of course, there are things you say. I wish, look, if we all know, if if Hillary Clinton had been elected president instead of Donald Trump, we would be having a completely different conversation. And, yes. you know, we we worked really hard, along with a lot of other people uh, and organizations, to try and uh, elect her. So I, I think it's elections have consequences. I, I mean, I still believe I wasn't cynical enough. I never, th- I thought the Republican Party at some point, there would be some group within the Republican Party would go, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is too far. But clearly, there's no, there's no adult left um, in the organization. And so I, I think that the hard thing is, and I knew this at Planned Parenthood, it wasn't good enough to be an excellent healthcare provider, you know, to provide people, regardless of income, regardless of uh, anything, uh, with high quality, affordable care. That wasn't enough. We also had to build a political operation and the advocacy operation to make sure that that care was still available. I think we did as good a job as we could but obviously it wasn't enough. And when you have a Republican party, when you have one of the two major parties in the country that are committed to end a fundamental right, that's tough to go up against, but that's what we have to do. Yeah. What do you think of the idea of setting up Planned Parenthood tents at National National Park Services or using federal <laughs> land? Uh, I, I, I mean, I think there's all kinds of- I don't know of- what I think about it, but I like the creative thinking. I know. Look, look, I'm I'm all for creative ideas. I just think that the same- people, you know, I'm focused mainly on the people who I think are going to have the least access to care. And this is where money, transportation, geography, these are, these are just real barriers. Um, As my friend in Texas said to me, she said, you know, Cecile, talking to these women, it's not that transportation is a challenge. It's an impossibility. And so as much as I appreciate creative thoughts, and um, I think fundamentally, we have to restore this right. And we have to make sure, particularly that online, people who are pregnant have the ability to get whatever medication they need to help them terminate a pregnancy if that's what they want to do. And they have the ability to access follow-up care if they need that. And if they need to get a surgical abortion, we all have to do everything we can to make sure they have the resources and information from a trusted provider to get them there. That's basically what has to happen. And it's probably going to have to happen here for a while until we can set things right again. Before I let you go, I want to just ask you how we can support that. How can people listening to that support exactly what you were just talking about? So number one, support abortion providers. I mean, like I was just, I was in Illinois this week and uh, there were, there, I think they're expecting 30,000 more people coming, particularly now that Wisconsin is making abortion illegal. Um, so support providers in the states that are I believe, legal. I believe there yeah. are 29 abortion providers in the state of Illinois, four <laughs> states around Illinois have just banned abortion right. in the last week. And so that number, as you're saying, is insane. And, and I feel like that is a very good place to support abortion yeah. providers. 
Exactly. I think that's right. I mean, obviously, there's national providers uh, like Planned Parenthood. There's the National Abortion Federation that is, you know, a col- has a collection of all the independent providers, support abortion funds. They are the ones who actually are getting calls from people who are in panic, uh, you know, and in, in, uh, in crisis. So those those things are important. Second, um, I mean, so there's resource needs. Second, like do something that scares you. I don't know if that means making an appointment and going to see your state legislator. I don't know if that means uh, going to a protest. I don't know if that means getting arrested, but everyone's going to have to be a lot louder and a lot more serious because, and and that's how we're going to raise our kids to know what's important to us is because we're going to show up uh, in this moment. Absolutely support organizations who are registering people to vote or volunteer on campaigns. There is there are candidates running all across the country right now who need volunteers, whose elections in November um, are hanging in the balance. And in some of these states, will make the difference whether or not abortion continues to be legal. And if you if you run out of ideas, run for office yourself. We need mm-hmm. more people who, who care about these issues uh, to be champions and that, um, you know, ultimately, um, that's, that's going to make a huge difference. So those are just a few ideas. Um, but I think the most important thing, and it's actually, Emily, how I felt after Donald Trump was elected, and I felt like I couldn't walk out the door without someone like grabbing me and just saying, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, this is a time not to wait for instructions. <laughs> Don't wait for the perfect solution. Just do more. Do more than what you're doing, because it's better than watching television and screaming at the set, and it'll make you feel better, and you'll change this country. This for the first time in a week gave me a little bit of hope. So I am. <laughs> we can do this. Really, we can do uh, this. I'm grateful for you giving me the hope. I'm grateful for your time here. And But most importantly, I'm just grateful for all the work that you've been doing for such a long time and that you, I know, will be doing in the coming months and, uh, and years. So thank you very, very much. It's my incredible honor. Um, I've been very blessed to be able to be a troublemaker all my life and, um, and meet incredible people along the way. So it's, um, it's good to be with you. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.